0: And welcome to the Codex Cantina, where we are just going to sit here and let Christy Lewis school us on Dostoevsky <laughs> in space. Teach us. Oh. <laughs> I'm nervous. Should I be nervous? He feel the opposite. <laughs> and welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una.
1: And I wish I was a little boy
0: crypto again. And today we have the honored and very special guest and longtime friend here on BookTube, none other than Dostoevsky in space. Christy Lewis. Golf clap. Woo!
2: Woo! (laughs) Thank you, guys. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. And as
1: always, we start off with publication information. The Little Boy at Christ's Christmas Tree was translated by Constance Garnett, and it was first published in a writer's diary in January of 1876.
0: So why are we doing this project for Christmas stories we read and watch the same Christmas stories and movies year after year. We thought it would be good to explore another culture's Christmas. And who better to enjoy and enrich our experience than Christy Lewis? And Christy, what did you think about this one? Because this one is something that I feel like is up our alley in terms of that religious ending.
2: Yeah, definitely. This one really seems like it's kind of like a social cry. It reminds me a lot of The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, but it does have that... Spiritual twist that is so uh, key to Dostoevsky's whole philosophy of writing, and it's it really makes him special, in my opinion. Now,
0: I had some really strong vibes on this one. Now, the three of us, while all big Dostoevsky fans, are also huge Flannery O'Connor fans as well. Yes, there is kind of a twisted view of salvation here, which I think is kind of um, Christmas is always time of redemption, a time of saving oneself. And it's interesting, I feel like he might be having a little bit of a conversation there in a very morose manner in the way that we've seen O'Connor do as well.
2: It's very similar to O'Connor. It reminds me of her a lot where it's really grim. And I know people say that Dostoevsky is depressing all the time, just like people say that, you know, O'Connor is depressing, but If you look at it from the spiritual worldview, it's really about salvation. That's usually what it's about.
0: Let's do a quick plot breakdown and then we'll we'll jump into our analysis. On Christmas Eve, late in the city, a young boy about six years old wakes up. He is cold, shivering, and starving. Nearby, his mother becomes cold to the touch and passes away. He puts on his cap to explore the city and hopefully find some food. The boy peers into homes and sees people privately celebrating and eating with Christmas trees inside. So he does a little breaking and entering, and they toss him out and give him some kopeck and usher him on his way out. The boy is unable to hold onto the coin, and he soon sees dolls dancing and playing in a window, and they look so real. He has never seen anything like it and laughs. A larger boy attacks the small narrator, and soon he falls over. He hears a voice offer to take him in to see Christ's Christmas tree. He is surrounded by small boys and girls and begins to fly, and he's reunited with his mother and other orphans of the world who died alone. End plot.
1: Yay, happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, this this goes into what we were talking about earlier. This reminds me so much of The River by O'Connor, where you you end the the earthly life and experience and here Dostoevsky is arguably giving us a look into that transcendence of what could the next life be like what are the eternal wards that we possibly seek
1: no i totally agree i think this is something that we kind of see explored in many religions is where life is suffering and you're going to have the prospect of something better afterwards. And that's hard to accept sometimes in a Christmas story because of our viewpoint here of what we want to feel here and now in this world with our family and our same movies and, and our happy endings every single time. That isn't realistic. And I think that he's doing a good job of presenting that realism.
0: So, Christy, I know Dostoevsky is one of your favorite authors of all time. What are some things that you saw in this story? It's so short, but
2: it really does, it really just seems like a very, I don't want to, I guess the term social gospel is, mm, that can mean a lot of different things. But I feel like this was almost like a very social kind of Jesus-like gospel um, where Dostoevsky's pointing out that this is supposed to be a time of joy and light and hope and giving. And while somebody gives the boy, you know, the Kopeck, it's almost like a, you know, paying, paying him off to go away so that he won't be seen. And like several times it's mentioned that people don't like the police officer. I think it was, didn't lo- want to look at him. Like people just keep turning away from him and his need instead of looking for ways to give to people who really need it. And as a result, On this night that's supposed to be so wonderful and the time of year where you really just love your neighbor this little boy and his mother both die of um cold or and and the mother we're not really sure maybe starvation it's hard to tell would you say they're like foreigners sorry (laughs) i just they're like foreigners in this land and they had nothing and Nobody helped
0: them. Would you say that this is Dostoevsky's kind of known for his social divide or social class critiques? Would you say that they're dying from a lack? So, so resources aren't divided equally in this story, right? We have the family right. with the Christmas tree. They had warmth. They had love, and they gave the boy like a copeck and ushered him along, but didn't give him love. Didn't give him caring. Would you say that the mother and son potentially died of lack of resources or lack of care from fellow man?
2: Yes, that would be my guess. Did you have a different interpretation? I have
0: an interesting one.
2: Okay, let's B- hear it. <laughs> but you're gonna have to
0: go. You're gonna have to go down this lane with me. Okay. So okay. one of my thoughts with this story is how this boy, it's interesting the way Dostoevsky positions him because he starts out with nothing really, right? He's he's coming into this world and even sensorial wise, when his mother passes away and he doesn't really have food, he doesn't have anything, he's starving, he goes out and he, he enters this world and he has this quote, never before had he seen anything like it. Like, Dostoevsky seems to be painting specifically like this birth of this boy for the first time and it kind of to me this story kind of resonated with me of like almost like a a lifetime jammed into an afternoon for this boy where you come into this world with nothing which is how this boy starts off this story he doesn't understand anything other than we assume his mother took care of him right like we don't see it but we see that the boy stayed with her until the end, was sad, and then had to kind of move on. And that's when he started to experience this world for the first time. And that's when I would say that family that he does the break-in and entering on, the little B&E, he gets kicked he gets kicked <laughs> out of the house. But to me, that was him kind of experiencing society for the first time. Because before, what he knew was his family. When you're first born, that's all you're around, Right. And then you get introduced into society, and you have a different view of what love and giving means from society's view, right? Usually, I mean, I'm going to go on a broad stroke here. Family means a certain amount of love and giving and sharing that isn't the same when you meet other people in society. And he's experiencing that for the first time in the story very quickly. And then he kind of gets to that window scene and If I'm thinking about this from like a worldview perspective, as you continue to grow up and experience society, you start to get distracted with these materialistic earthly goals, right? We've seen a lot of writers like Tolstoy or or O'Connor write about how earthly distractions will take you away from that eternal goal is one way I think some people could interpret that. So he's seeing these pleasurable, nice, earthly distractions in a sense. And along comes another boy who's destitute, enough to at least rob or or harm this boy because like he took the hat i would say he bullied him took the hat and and unfortunately the boy passed away at that point in time so it's kind of like almost like a little crime and punishment where this boy who also had nothing made a decision to take from others Mm -hmm. our narrator made the decision not to take from others at least in a sense like he couldn't even hold on to the coin that was given to him from from that family And that's when he passed on and got a glimpse into the eternal reward for not potentially taking care or taking advantage of of other men the way that this other boy did that that kind of hit him and bullied him in a sense. So I would almost kind of like look at the story in a sense of like a wrapped up view of our earthly struggle coming in with nothing, learning how to interact with others, share resources with others because we see distribution is not equal in the story. And then it's for what? For that eternal reward at the end where he finally gets the tree that is on reserve for anyone that needs it as opposed to what society was not giving what they need. He finally got that with the eternal reward with, with Christ at the end in a sense. So it's to me kind of like a really ambitious story wrapping up what I feel like is, is a very the world is suffering experience for eternal reward
2: Yeah, that's pretty deep, but I agree.
1: There were two things that I kind of took out of the story from what you, you kind of talked about is that the boy's innocence isn't a shield that's going to protect him. And a lot of times we think that that is something that is going to protect you is that this level of innocence. Oh, nothing bad is going to happen to you because you haven't done anything bad yourself. A lot of people view that kind of karmic value system in society, in the world, that if you do bad things, bad things might happen to you, if you do good things, good things are gonna happen to you. And that doesn't happen in this. And I, I love the realism that Dostoevsky brings to the story for this. And the other thing is is that when you think about this story, it's kind of like us doing this adventure into foreign Christmases, is the boy is always looking out inward. And he's always looking at everybody else's inward and he's never looking inward towards himself. And I think that's something a lot of times that religion also teaches as well as you have to look inward to love yourself. And this boy is experiencing this adventure, this journey of self-discovery through what he thinks other people want or other people desire. And he doesn't understand that. And I think that's why ultimately, like, the money isn't that important to him because he doesn't have the same value as everybody else in society, although he might want it eventually if he continued watching them and learning from them.
0: What did you think about the narration, right? So we start off with the boy's point of view, I want to say off in the beginning, but then it kind of separates out so that we can kind of pass judgment and kind of experience the story with the boy. Why do you think Dostoevsky did that? He
2: does that in Crime and Punishment as well. He'll, like, frequently... (laughs) He'll like go in when it's convenient, although usually he'll, in Crime and Punishment, he'll actually um, not be inside the main character's head. It'll be mostly like he's talking aloud like he's monologuing aloud a lot. And that's how we mostly get inside the main character's head in that book. But there were times when he would just go right on into his thoughts and it was like he was all over the place. He just kind Mm -hmm. of it's like an invention i'm not maybe he wants us to identify with the boy in the beginning and then to kind of see from an outside perspective you
0: know one of the ways i take that in crime and punishment is he was allowing us to see that raskolnikov wasn't being honest with himself by not seeing all of his thoughts he was putting on crypto was earlier talking about that shield he was putting on a front i can't do a thing like that is what he kept saying in that you know first part right here we separate out from the boy so again we have separation so we don't really know what he's thinking and i wonder if that allows us to pass judgment like you said not only on the boy but also this other boy that was being the bully that hit him and that stole his hat is it really that's a bad guy i can't stand him or is this part of the class divide struggle of Little boys who have nothing have two choices. They can die or they can take from others. Which one are you going to choose? And we saw that kind of explored with uh, Rashomon earlier, Crypto and I did, where the options either become a bad person and take from others and survive or die. And that's a hard decision to put on someone. And I feel like if you're in that main character's head, it's a lot harder to pass judgment in that situation when you're, you're trying to survive for yourself as opposed to looking at it Externally is one way I would. Look
1: so at I it. I think to add to that just real quick is that one thing we can think about from Russia at this time period is that this this idea of social Darwinism and I think Dostoevsky is writing here mm. to not mm-hmm. give us too much information about the boy because we don't know his thoughts, and we don't know, does he even want to survive? Does he know how to survive? Does he know what surviving even means? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's very ignorant of the world, and I think that's something that is very subtle. It's a subtle nuance, the ignorance slash innocence of the boy, but I think it's the social Darwinism uh, that is very popular during this time period of you know the, the, uh, the 19th century.
0: So I wonder, to that point, Crypto, with the social Darwinism, the boy couldn't handle... The the COPEC, the money. And money is something that is agreed upon between societies. It is something that we agree this has value, and then there's an exchange between that and goods, and that becomes a universal currency for how you, you operate, in a sense. And if this little boy, to your point, doesn't know how to operate in this world, he doesn't understand how to interact with it. Wouldn't it make sense that he couldn't handle the currency, which is the agreed upon way of exchanging information and value in a society?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, with no intrinsic value, there does is the boy's mm. ignorance guaranteeing him into heaven. I think it's kind of that idea of, you know, maybe baptism here. Is he being baptized almost by cold instead of fire that's going to guarantee his way into a better life in the afterlife? Mm, mm, It's very deep, very deep.
0: A plus for you on that one, Crypto. In this
2: story, that's really interesting what you were saying about social Darwinism, Crypto, because Dulcievsky typically did attack whatever... movement philosophical movement was going through the russian intelligentsia at the time he really loved to write specifically to attack those kinds of things so in crime and punishment he was attacking utilitarianism and this one attacking social darwinism that makes a lot of sense because um, this boy obviously couldn't fend for himself through no fault of his own and if you're if you're okay with that with him just dying it's that's definitely not um, Christ's way, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we know in you know in the 19th century that Russia is slowly moving towards uh, a very non-religious view of life, and their you know more communistic views are coming out very shortly after this. Marx is going to write the Communist Manifesto, so a lot of societal views and that good for all is changing. Uh, during this century and i think that he's kind of saying hey russia what type of people are we going to be are we going to be the people that are okay with little kids dying because that's the strongest survive of the fittest or are we going to be better people than that and hopefully rise up to our religious values where
2: he is in saint petersburg when he's doing a lot of his writing he's seeing he's seeing um tolstoy a lot of times deals with the almost middle to upper class kind of values whereas tolstoy Um, Sorry, Dostoevsky. He lived on the street, you know, at various points in his life, in poverty, and he saw this kind of thing happening, so it's not surprising to me that he starts the story with, like, I have this vision of a little six-year-old boy going through these things. And of course he brings it around with his faith.
0: And you bring up a good point about the manifesto, because I think that's actually already out when this story came out, because Manifesto came out in forty seven and this was eighty-six, right? Seven
1: seventy-six. Seventy-six.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so the manifesto's already been out for thirty years.
1: Yeah, yeah, thirty years.
0: Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Christy Lewis, on this whole a very foreign Christmas. If you are here watching this channel and you are not subscribed to Christy Lewis, you are missing out. Head over there immediately to subscribe to her. She's an awesome person. Great chats happening over there.
2: Thank you so much. It was really fun to be here. Oh,
1: thank you for coming and schooling us. We appreciate it.
0: So we will leave a link to the Dostoevsky playlist where you can listen to other Dostoyevsky chats. Let's move into our subjective ratings for the story. We'll start with Crypto.
1: So I'm going to definitely give this one two different uh, because I... I, I, I'm the humbug, I guess, in the wrong way. I don't know, the happy bug. Because <laughs> I, I love my Hallmark Channel movies with the happy endings. Uh, I understand the value of this. Uh, I understand the literary value and how good you can analyze and get so much out of this uh, so I would give it a solid eight for that. But my for my enjoyment, I would probably give it like a four. So overall, maybe a six, just because uh, I didn't personally enjoy the story too much. But it's very rich for such a uh, what six pages, I think you said at the beginning, Christy. Uh, a lot jammed in here for what he is observing happening in Russia during the 19th century.
0: It's the, it's the fate of the young boy that we knew would do you in crypto. Crypto does not do well with those. For my two ratings, I'm going to say analytically, it's Dostoevsky. Right, like the guy writes the most ambitious six-page stories I've ever read in my life. <laughs> easy, easy, you know, I'll give it a 10 for analytical value because it's Dostoevsky. It's it's incredible. In terms of personal enjoyment, I actually kind of like the very twisted view of salvation. To, to me, as someone, that, that's something that is yes the the world is suffering it's something to work towards it resonates with me as a person so subjectively i really like the story i'm gonna go with an 8.5 for just a subjective rating christy
2: you know it's really hard for me to put numbers on this one i feel weird just saying 10 out of 10 on both but you know i really enjoyed the whole experience of reading this i think it's a great story and talking about it just heightens it for me so i'm gonna go with 10 out of 10
0: I mean, your channel is named after it. If I read a story called yeah. The Codex Cantina, I would give it a 10 out of 10 too, regardless of how <laughs> <about>. <laughs> Exactly. It's
1: a 10. I give it a 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, all right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on the discussion today. Please make sure you hit that subscribe button. We post videos every Monday and Thursday to join us on the journey. Make sure you follow along for more Very Foreign Christmas stories. We'll put a link to the playlist down below. Una out.
1: Peace.
2: Bye.